Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and I'm joined, as always, with Justin and Michael as we recap the uh, latest and greatest in the world of entertainment. You can catch us online at sknr.net as we cover all things gaming, hardware, movies, television, travel, pop culture, entertainment, and more. You can catch me on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM. We put the simulcast on our page. And, of course, we have our quarterly magazine, Skip and Review the Magazine. We're looking at the June issue right now. And we have lots of outlets such as Sci-Fi Radio where you can hear this segment, uh, Open Critic, lots of uh, venues, and, of course, our uh, gaming content, PinalCentral.com which is a network of 12 newspapers in 21 markets, keyword skewed. Just had a review for Redfall and some others up there recently. And we got a bunch of stuff to cover. We are just now, as we record this, coming back from uh, and recovering from our uh, Phoenix Fan Fusion coverage. Michael and I were there. Uh, Genevieve was there as well. We had a lot of, we had three panels at a table. Uh, Michael got a lot of great pictures of the uh, celebrities that were on hand, so uh, you can catch those on the page. And, of course, uh, had uh, several uh, movie screenings this week. I've had Transformers Rise of the Beast. I've had The Flash. Our reviews are up already on the site. As I record this, I'm about to go screen Elemental. And then we're going to have a few days in California next week before back to... uh, Uh, Indiana Jones and some of these other things. So uh, before we get into the discussion topics, I do want to mention San Diego Comic-Con's coming up. Genevieve and I will be there covering. Uh, Michael's going to be there. We have a panel that we're doing. We'll be able to give you more details on that. But for those of you that missed out on tickets, if you go to uh, eBay and look up Comic-Con International, they have, let's see, one, two, three, four, eight, ten sets of two-day passes that are available right now for uh, auction, highest bid wins, and uh, these will allow you to go to the con. Now, right now, the bids are going anywhere from $1,027 all the way up to $2,000. It is a charitable donation, as I understand, and if you do get them, not only do you get two tickets to go to all four days of the con, I believe you also, uh, with preview night, excuse me, so you get preview night as well, which is great. And then you also get priority for renewal uh, next year. So you do want to check that out if you are anxious to go to Comic-Con. So, gentlemen, while we were uh, handling Phoenix Fan Fusion, um, during the ongoing uh, writer's strike, where apparently a psychic approached the line the other day and told them that they have seen the strike will end in September, uh, the Director's Guild settled. A lot of people thought because we hadn't had a lot of rumblings from them like we had from SAG and AFTRA and from the writers that this may happen. And the writers set a three, excuse me, the director set a three-year deal. Uh, Apparently some provisions are pay raises, um, global streaming revenue, as well as AI protection. So uh, Michael started off with you today. What do you make of this? And do you think this is a template for the other two unions deals? I, you know, I would like to hope that it is because I, I think what we've found is that um, the, without the writers, you don't really have shows. You don't really have new content. You really don't have stories. 
Um, I think one of the I think one of the bigger differences between the writers and the directors, though, is I, I think the directors are paid significantly more um, than the writers, and they tend to have a little bit more control over the, the film and the process um, and their deals. So I'm not I'm not too surprised that the directors were also the ones that are kind of um, looked at as as maybe key components uh, more so than the writers, which I think is kind of unfortunate. Because, again, the directors tend to be a little bit more well-known. Um, they tend to have a little bit more clout in the industry. They have, they have a little bit more control over a lot of the um, you know, stars who portray in their, in their, um, their films and that sort of thing. So I, I, I think for them, it's a, it's a, they have a little bit more pull and sway on the industry, even though I think the writers are, are certainly just as deserving, if not more deserving, in a lot of these key areas as well. So I, I, I think it says a lot that the industry folded quickly to the directors before there you know, even became much of a strike to speak of from their perspective. I think that actors are in a similar place where um, the Screen Actors Guild you know, could threaten to strike, and I think, again, the actors have a lot more pull with the industry and with the, the the productions uh, and that sort of thing, and I, I think again, I, I think we're seeing the writers uh, get dragged through the mud and, and the situation dragged out a lot more significantly than we will with the screen actors or the directors themselves. And again, the writers aren't necessarily the most gainfully employed as it is. A lot of times, they're you know work, jumping from one potential script to another. Um, they have long. Uh, bouts of time when they're not being, you know, being paid or they're not being um, consulted or, or, you know, until the next um, major screen event comes up or the next major series. Um, but again, I think that's that's kind of a disservice because I, I think we, we don't really recognize the writers to the level that we do the directors or the actors. Uh, and again, they're not as well known. They don't have the same kind of clout. I think there's a lot of um, perception that you know, they can get other people to do those types of, um, you know, be screenwriters, and, and they don't have that notoriety or the visibility that, say, somebody like a, a James Cameron from a director, or somebody like a, you know, Tom Holland from an actor's perspective, or somebody like that, where they carry that name recognition and actually can make or break a movie based on that name recommendation. Um, with the exception of, you know, some of the more notable writers, I think people would have a hard time naming a writer on one of their favorite films, even if it's the writers themselves that brought the film to life. And I think that's really the, the saddest part about this whole story. Justin, your take, please. Yeah, so um, I've been reading some interesting, um, bat, you know, behind-the-scenes, um, you know, opinions and uh, analysis about what's going on. And, you know, one thing that the the writers are, are claiming, uh, or the, the Writers Guild is claiming, is that the uh, the tactic that worked last time is uh, they, they they released a statement recently saying that the tactic that worked last time is not going to work again, and I read into that a little bit and it does actually sort of like line up. I'm you know I this is allegedly um, you know I, obviously I, I have no inside information I can't you know say anything for sure for certain, but these the uh, the writers guild is alleging that it's a divide and conquer strategy where you basically um 
kind of do these side deals with the uh, the Directors Guild and the Screen Actors Guild, which basically puts a bunch of pressure on the Writers Guild to uh, to take a deal. Um, supposedly, that is what happened last time. Um, does kind of look like maybe that's what's happening this time too. Now, whether it will work or not, that's uh, you know still obviously up in the air. But basically, the idea being that you know when these different organizations are um you know uh targeted separately then it makes it a little bit more difficult for the last remaining one to uh to stand um on their own um kind of like what michael said it uh this this is a particular guild what's interesting is they get the most attention um probably because of their size but they also have probably the lowest amount of influence and clout in the actual industry that they work in so very interesting dynamics there and uh i guess we're in it for the long haul yeah it does seem very interesting in that i don't think the directors had as many grievances as the writers do because as michael pointed out traditionally uh they are better compensated now doesn't change the fact that a director can go years between projects but you know the argument is when you're making six figure barely six figures you're just under it and you may not work for eight to ten months uh you know it changes things around but it's also important to remember not every director is making multiple millions of dollars so that's where the uh streaming revenue and the additional minimums and stuff have come in because now with the global streaming revenue if you look at uh several of these large overseas markets uh it can be huge like i i pointed out We've got Avatar, uh, what, The Way of Water coming out on video right now. So it uh, video on Disney Plus on streaming. It's going to be streaming all around the world, I believe. As we record this, it is out either today or tomorrow, uh, but very soon. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out people are probably going to want to see the first one as well and do a little marathon of this. So if I'm James Cameron, I, I probably want to hear... Uh, the sound of that brings truck back enough, not that he wasn't apparently very well compensated for a film that made over two and a half billion dollars at the box office that is making money. But just imagine how many millions, if not billions of hours with streaming uh, this thing is going to do worldwide. And that's all money in the bank right there. So that's, you know, the thing. And I, I do hope it's a template, but I look at it like this, the direct uh, the sag after the actors have overwhelmingly voted to strike. In fact, their uh, number of representatives who voted was actually percentage points ahead of where the writers were favoring a strike. Now, they have until I believe the number that I heard was the 25th to work out a deal. And it does seem like the situation right now is very much the studios are leaving the writers to just walk the line. They've gotten the directors taken care of. They have been talking with the actors, as I understand. So essentially, it does seem like this could be the thing going, hey, we got the actors, we got the directors, it's all on you now, so, you know, how long are you going to ride this out? Now, the problem is, while they do have a, uh, a vault full of old scripts and all of that, that doesn't work for your next schedule uh, for the fall. Now... Are they just going to say, well, we're going to go out and cancel all these upcoming TV shows? Probably not, because these are profitable. It's a lot easier to go with existing hits than to create new ones. And, oh, yeah, guess what? 
you also have a lot of these actors and directors who are relying on those shows to uh, basically jumpstart their new revenue agreement. So it will be interesting to see what happens, but at least that's one down, and hopefully uh, SAG and AFTRA will get theirs, and the writers definitely will be taken care of very soon. It does seem that SAG AFTRA is very much in solidarity with the writers, so uh, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed. Now, switching over to more uh, pleasant news, let's talk a little bit about The Flash. The movie's coming out very soon. I saw it at CinemaCon. I saw the final uh, cut of it the other night. Uh, there is, There was additional stuff that was not in our CinemaCon version, and I do understand now uh, why they did not want us doing our reviews based on the CinemaCon uh, thing. Some stuff like a little bit longer ending a um, bonus scene in the in the credits, stuff like that. But uh, the film is coming up, and it's no secret that Ezra Miller uh, uh, had a lot of controversy due to some off-field uh, legal issues leading up to the film that we talked about. There was even concern that perhaps the film could not be released due to the uh, problems around it. Well, right now, uh, the film is getting uh, good early word, and um, Ezra Miller has not done any press for the movie. There is uh, supposedly the only press they will be making is one low-profile appearance at the L.A. premiere, uh, and that will be limited to posing for photos, not doing interviews or sound bites. And so um, they will not have the standard press gauntlet to it. However... Uh, you know, director Andy Machete, Ben Affleck, Sasha Kale, Michael Shannon uh, are expected to show up. Michael Keaton is busy filming in London. Uh, otherwise, he might have been one of the focal points for it. But um, it's very interesting because the, uh, the article I'm reading, you know, mentioning here, it talks about how the film ended with the... Um, at CinemaCon with the final scene out. Now that's been added in. Uh, there are apparently a uh, sequel script already done, and it could see Michael Keaton's Batman and Kali's Supergirl both returning. And, of course, you know, there's screenings taking place all over the world. And what they're looking at, though, is a budget of $190 million, and they see the film needing to definitely earn back some serious money in order to um, recoup its investment, move the franchise forward. And it's right now looking to have an opening of $75 million, which would put it lower than the recent animated Spider-Man film, lower than Guardians of the Galaxy, and uh, I believe even lower than Ant-Man Quantumania. So, gentlemen, before we get on to that, and I know you haven't seen the film yet, uh, here's a little interesting thing. We've talked about uh, James Gunn and Peter Safran having their DC Extended Universe. We've talked about how there are side projects like the new Joker film, like another Robert Pattinson Batman film coming that are not part of this universe. Uh, so now we're hearing reports that director Andy Machete, who's done The Flash, he did the um, It movies, is very popular, uh, that he's being tapped to helm a new multiple Batman film called The Brave and the Bold at DC Studios. Now, supposedly, uh, this when they're saying multiple Batman, uh, it is just that, meaning 
there will be more than one Batman in the film. Justin, take it away. What do you make of this? Yeah, uh, so this kind of goes in line with um, some of the, the previous uh, issues that I, th I think that DC has had with their film franchise and that it just sort of seems kind of chaotic and a little uh, schizophrenic, to be honest. Now, it's great that uh, um, for them that this movie is reviewing well, but I think it does continue one of their issues where every it seems like every other movie that they make uh, does well and then they some of their movies don't do well and that makes it difficult to kind of continue on because there's a heavy incentive to con to continue uh, with characters that um, are popular and are part of films that do extremely well like Aquaman so Aquaman did extremely well warranted a sequel but the the double-edged sword of that is that you're basically continuing a franchise that you know, very, very documented has, has, uh, uh, has some pretty major issues. And obviously this is true that DC agrees as well, because they're basically rebooting it. Um, so that, that's kind of the, one of the issues I see with the flash is that, uh, it's technically a, a continuation of, you know, characters from essentially the, the iteration of their film franchise that, that has been plagued by all sorts of problems. Um, Ezra Miller's Flash appeared back in Batman vs Superman, so you know this is the same character. Um, so that there's that problem, and then also you know not not, not to get too negative, um, but Ezra Miller's you know personal issues. Uh, obviously, I wish the best for him, but those those issues will will continue uh, regardless. Um, you know, I, you know, hopefully he gets help. Hopefully, you know he uh, um, you know. He, he, everything works out for him and, and you know he doesn't have any any further problems going forward but um if not uh, that's going to be also a potential problem for dc going forward or warner brothers i should say just because uh even if this film does well and it's it's heavily incentivized to, to make a sequel uh he he will he will be the star um so that that has, that's also another you know potential problem that they have to deal with in regards to doing Brave and the Bold, uh, again, I'm just a little, I, I'm, I'm very intrigued, I'm, I'm interested, but at the same time, I'm a little confused as to how this lines up with their, you know, the announcements of their previous plans to essentially reboot their entire film franchise. Is this part of that? Is it linked to the existing Batman films that are being made by Matt Reeves? Is it linked to... Um, this new kind of intertwined cinematic universe or is it separate like the Joker? It's there's so many questions uh, on the table. And um, I just, at this point, I think Warner brothers doesn't quite know what the plan is. And Michael, your take please. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen the flash. Obviously I, I understand it's getting good buzz and it's, it's a good, good superhero movie. Although I do want question how much of that is the supporting role or the supporting cast like Michael Keaton bringing that to the movie. And I, I have to say that if the flash does even remotely well, I think that Michael Keaton and, and that aspect of it is what's driving the people to go see it, honestly. And, and it doesn't surprise me at all that the animated Spider-Man film or the uh, guardians films are doing better because let's face it, the DC films have had a very checkered past um, with quality and with content, 
So people are going to wait to see, wait for the reviews to go see it, which they should, in my opinion. And I think a lot of them are, other than the interest in Michael Keaton, re, you know, reprising his role as Batman. I think a lot of people aren't going to pay the money to go see it, and they're going to wait for it to come out on streaming because of the um, lack of controversies. Well, not even the controversies, just lack of quality of the films. You know, I don't think really that many people care about the Ezra Miller controversies. I think there are those people, but I think it's, it has more to do with lack of quality and lack of interest in that entire franchise. I mean, as you know, my only interest in seeing the movie would be to see Michael Keaton, honestly. And if Michael Keaton wasn't in it, I'd have no interest in going. Um, regardless of how well it's reviewed, the fact of the matter is the DC Universe, with the exception of a couple of movies, haven't been worth the price of admission. And again, maybe this is, but I would argue that it's being tinted because of the supporting role and the supporting cast and without those supporting roles supporting cast maybe you have a very different movie uh and the same goes with the, the i mean batman i think we've talked about batman's my probably all-time favorite superhero but i really don't want to see any more movies done about with batman at this point um they've kind of dri- kind of driven that into the ground at this point and i think they need to take a break um i don't have any interest in i liked the batman but I have no interest in seeing another one um, based on that character, honestly. Um, I, and I, I just think, in, in general, I just think the whole uh, DC franchise, instead of trying to cons- consistently reboot and try to find its footing, maybe it's time to take a step back and stop for a while, come up with a co- cohesive plan, come up with what they want to do, and then go forward going that way. Because right now it's kind of a mess. And I, I just don't have any excitement for any of the DC's franchise at this point. You know, and it's interesting, too, because I am obviously going to give it a chance. I did not read the comic growing up. I saw what they had at CinemaCon. I saw the cast there. Uh, we got Blue Beetle coming out very soon. And according to Empire Magazine, the um, the lead has already said, oh, yeah, yeah, we're gearing up for sequels and crossover movies. And it's kind of like... I. I wasn't jumping with joy over the trailer. I didn't hate what I saw, but I just didn't. I, I honestly, there were aspects of the trailer I looked at and said, this looks more like a streaming movie to me than something to go into the theater. Now, maybe they're holding back. Maybe things aren't done. But, you know, I, I'm looking at some of these things. We're talking about these DC films. And then, you know, Gunn is working on Superman Legacy and James Mangold, who's doing the Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is apparently doing a reboot of Swamp Thing. Now, I'll say this. I remember watching Swamp Thing back in the day when it came out, not the second one, the first one. And, you know, we can all agree there wasn't a lot of star power in it. Um, it was low budget. And it was interesting. But, you know, again, you come back to to do these films now on the big screen, you got to have a big budget. Obviously, Swamp Thing's going to be CGI this time around, but let's not forget, they tried a TV series recently. It didn't go over that well. So, you know, jumping to the cinematic uh, line may not be the wisest thing, so go figure. Um, This leads us to an interesting thing. We talked about uh, the success of the other films, so this is kind of... Uh, mitigating these people that say, oh, there's superhero fatigue and all that. Uh, And to the shock of no one, because we had reported on radio uh, that there were rumors that Tom Holland had already reached an agreement to appear 
as uh, Spider-Man. And I heard that what I had heard was at least four films, two standalone uh, films and then two others, which would likely be the Avengers films. Uh, the other day, Amy Pascal at Sony did indeed admit that Spider-Man 4 meetings with Tom Holland have taken place, but yet they are currently on hold due to the writer's strike. And interesting enough, right as this was all a few days after all of this hit, Tom Holland came out and said that he's taken a year off from acting uh, due to difficult experiences filming the crowded room. So, uh, Justin, do you want to address this one here? Yeah. So, with the with the way the uh, the last one ended, I, I almost I think it almost certainly will result in a in another Spider Man movie with Tom Holland. Uh, I just don't think there's there's so much. Um, you know, one goodwill with with how these movies have gone. Um, but they've been very well received. They've been very successful for both Disney and Sony. Uh, obviously, Tom Holland, um, you know, has has really liked the role. Um, and in particular, with the the way that uh, uh, No Way Home ended, I really think that uh, eventually there will be some deal to continue the franchise in, in some regard, whether it's a fourth one that like kind of concludes his story arc or, or something, but I, I highly doubt they're going to leave it the, the way that that movie ended. Um, so I, I, I don't see there, I'm pretty confident that it, that, that something will get reached at some point, um, whether it's a year from now or a couple years from now, honestly, I think that might be good. Um, you know, I think this superhero fatigue argument, I think it's kind of like up and down where I think there is some evidence of it being true, but it's not, it's, it's, it's there's a more complicated picture than just uh, like a black and white, uh, yes, there's superhero fatigue or no, there's superhero, or there isn't superhero fatigue. I think there are movies that are, there are superhero movies that obviously I think like break that threshold. Uh, break the break the threshold for interest and are enormously successful. I think if you put a, a, a good Spider-Man movie out or a good Batman movie out, it's going to be successful regardless. I think what they're struggling with is some of the more, some of the side, you know, you know, getting people interested into uh, maybe characters that um, maybe have a little bit of a tougher lift um, to get you know people interested in a, in a new character. I think that is becoming tougher over time. Um, you know, I think it. I think the the landscape is a little bit different than it was back when, say, the Gar the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie came out. Which, you know, uh, I, I uh, uh, you know, I I say all the time that I I'm a you know a natural skeptic towards stuff, and I'm often wrong. Um, I, I'm I'm fully willing to admit that I was very skeptical that the Guardians of the Galaxy movie was going to do well. Um, because the the characters were so niche, um, but obviously I was I was way wrong on that uh, prediction, and I think part of that though is the landscape at the time that the Guardians of the Galaxy came out was a lot different than it is now. I think that's really what you know a lot of these production companies are struggling with is introducing new characters in a way that you know gets people really really interested in them like they did back you know when a lot of these were more novel, um, but. Uh, but established characters, I think, obviously, those movies can still work. And um, as soon as Sony and Disney come up with some sort of agreement and Tom Holland's on board, I'm sure that they will make a Spider-Man movie that will be very successful. Michael, your take, please. Yeah, and I one of the things I kind of worry about, 
kind of on the superhero fatigue. It's not so much just the fatigue. It's just the uh, we kind of went through this in the late nineties, right? For those who remember when you know superhero movies were coming out in the beginning, they were really great because people hadn't had them, and then they just started to get terrible and terrible and terrible to the point where it kind of killed off that industry for several years. Um, you know, then it was rebooted by Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, and things got better again. Um, and and I, I think what happens is there's there's a level of quality that certain um, franchises and certain directors and actors are bringing to some of the films, but I think it gets kind of inundated with some of these that are quick cash grabs, we'll put it that way. Um, and, and to Justin's point, I agree. I think when superhero movies were becoming new or when they were new and things were starting to, to kick off again. Okay, Michael, we're having a little bit of technical issue. Uh, there you go. There can you, you hear go. Me now? Yep. Yep. Much better. Yeah. So what I was saying is I think the problem we run into is if we start getting too many films that are less quality and start driving down that interest, it makes it harder for the newer IPs to get any footing. Um, again, if, if, you, if you don't have a lot to choose from and you're introducing new characters, I think that gives people some excitement to go and just see what's out there. But when we start seeing you know, films with characters that are not as well-known being released by studios that don't necessarily have a good track record for some of the, even with some of the better um, or more well-known um, stories and, and characters, I think that's where the problem starts up. So I don't necessarily know if it's fatigue at all all heroes, but I think it does make it harder for those that are not well-known um, to get any sort of footing in a theater now. They might do great on streaming, um, but if they don't know who the character is and there's not a lot of interest in that character, I think there's less incentive for people to just spend the money and go find out if it's worth it versus waiting for it to come out on streaming. Yeah, I definitely think there's a lot to that, but we'll have to see. Um, you know, the big news as we get into tomorrow, as we're recording this, Summer Game Fest is going to be taking off tomorrow. We are uh, approved co-streamers of it, so we're very happy to be doing that. Uh, we had a little bit of kicking around today with uh, some Gorilla Collective stuff, and tomorrow at, um, uh, you know, early in the morning at... 12 p.m. U.S., we get the Summer Game Fest, and then on uh, Sunday, we're going to have the Xbox Showcase and the Starfield Direct, and next Monday, of course, while we're traveling to California, maybe we'll be there by the time this airs, we get the Ubisoft Forward Showcase, and of course, it's great timing because there's new content coming for Division 2, and then, of course, uh, as we go forward, uh, we've got a lot of stuff to look forward to. Uh, Devolver Direct is going to be doing theirs, and you've got the um, you know Future Game Show on uh, Saturday the 10th, as well as the upcoming PC Game Show. So we got a whole uh, you know slew this weekend, basically going Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It looks like there's stuff, and then of course uh, this is going to keep us busy. We're going to get a look at Alan Wake 2. We're going to get a look at Mortal Kombat 1. And, of course, everybody is eager to see what else is going to be announced. I got news today of a very impressive um, new season coming for Call of Duty. And this free update is uh, they're going to drop like five or six maps yeah, for the standard game. 
instead of giving you one or two. Uh, so that's good. There's a lot of new Warzone 2 content coming. And of course, as we all know, Diablo 4 is out right now. I've been plugging away with it, but I'm at the point now where it's time to squat up and get people, hint, hint, guys, uh, for me to be able to take out the boxes. So um, let's keep it simple. We've gone over a lot of topics uh, with it. I mean, at this point, we'll be obviously doing a recap over the weekend uh, of what we saw and stuff. Uh, but we'll start with you, Justin. Are we believing the hype, or do we think that uh, it's mainly going to be what we already know about and a bunch of indies? I do think that there's going to be some surprises in there. I think Summer Game Fest is is going to be a little bit like what E3 was. Uh, maybe not quite to the extent that um, the amount of like you know sheer reveals and excitement that was all kind of boiled into like a three day uh, window. I don't think it's going to be like that. Obviously, Summer Games Fest is more spread out, but, uh, you know, this is the season that E3 would happen. It would be happening basically right now. Um, On Tuesday, yeah. Yeah, so so it, it lines up, you know, it lines up, and I think those uh, those same incentives are still there to kind of, um, I think people are kind of expecting E3-esque kind of reveals, so I think a lot of the companies are kind of pushed into uh we we should have some something to show right around now that's exciting so yeah i do actually think that uh we'll get some big bigger reveals uh, i've been hearing you know reading some rumors about um i think square enix will likely be showing off a little bit of their their next installment of the ff7 remake i think um they've been you know teasing something um over the last few days so i think there's a good chance of that obviously alan alan wake 2 i think there's a good very good chance that that could be um you know ha have some kind of showing maybe hopefully some some uh, actual gameplay um uh, capcom has a pretty big showcase coming up as well so yeah i do actually think there's going to be quite a big a big showcase um among a lot of these uh these developers over the next like few weeks but uh but maybe not quite as big as the e3 was yeah michael your take please yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what's coming out. Um, I think we'll see some big um, reveals. I certainly think we're going to get to, I mean, I'm excited to see more about Starfield and see how that's coming along. Um, probably we'll see some more Final Fantasy 16 um, footage, I'm sure. Um, Alan Wake 2, I'm, I'm very excited for that. But I'm really excited to see what we don't know about that's coming, where those big announcements are going to be. So hopefully we'll have a couple of those to kind of, tie us over for 2023 and then the early 2024 and we'll just kind of see where we go from there the other thing too that's not getting a lot of uh hype is that the play days are happening this weekend where uh, uh select media outlets and influencers are being uh allowed to come in and do some hands-on so we should be getting uh you know some stuff there's been a lot of talk that we're going to see actual gameplay we are not going to get cgi rendered trailers only and then of course as we said with these people coming up and actually getting hands-on we should get something so I, i'm hoping you know at the same time as we know we're still going off to california just going to go to knots take it easy have a few days but we all know we were supposed to go on monday to be uh covering e3 and it yeah it is a difficult we have not, i mean i personally have not had a gaming conference myself since 2019 
when we went to E3 and we um, did PAX West. And that's mainly because the unfortunate thing is without the large number of big publishers attending these things, it's easier for me to send regional staff um, to go cover them than it is for me to, you know, deal with flying up to Seattle. Even that's where we lived for the longest time and seeing everybody, it is just, you know, a significant outlay. And now I have all kinds of new schedule conflicts and, you know, that's where it is. I got to see the big boys back in order for me to get excited. 40 companies involved, as I said, we're co-streaming it. Just go to sknr.net. We will, you will see it and uh, you can do it. We have the YouTube and the uh, Twitch streams uh, right there. So one-stop shopping. The final thing I wanted to hit up this uh, weekend, as I mentioned, we're going to uh, Knott's Berry Farm. We're going to have a look at the new Fiesta Village. And while we were planning that out, uh, Knott sent over some information that in celebration of the 50th anniversary of the phenomenal Not Scary Farm, which, as I said, they and Universal constantly are my favorite uh, Halloween events that are available. Uh, Disney does a very good family-oriented one with Oogie Boogie Bash, but Not Scary Farm is California, Southern California's longest-running Halloween attraction, 50 years of nightmares, scares, mazes. Michael and I have both done through that. It is going to um, run September 21 through the 31st, I will have to check that because they had originally told me the 15th, so I think it might be uh, changing some things up. Uh, but uh, they do have an annual pass that is available, and uh, you can get details on that on the website at Knott's Berry Farm. So, folks, that is going to do it for us right now. And if you have any other questions or any other uh, experiences out there, please stay tuned and we'll be back next week with the Games Fest and more. And until then, take care.